Welcome to episode three of the RetroNim podcast, and in this episode, I continue my countdown of my top 100 video games going from 75 to 51 in this bit of a throwback episode to something I've recorded a long time ago. Now we're moving on to the next column on my list, and we're 48 and 49 minutes into this. Oh boy, that's scary. Number 75. This is also going to be controversial take final fantasy 6 also known as final fantasy 3 as it was originally released in america you know the drill by now it's not actually final fantasy 3 it's final fantasy 6 yes it's the one with kafka i played it i enjoyed it not the best final fantasy game to me it had a lot of characters a lot to keep track of and i'm not very good at doing that i'm not very smart I'm just not a smart guy. That much is clear from my list so far. There was a lot to keep track of here. It was like reading a really good novel, but this is like a 900-page novel, and it has like 27 like sequel books in the series. I'm, I'm not able to keep up with a lot of this. I'm not very smart, again, so that's why it's so low on my list. Sorry, it is. It's a great game. Great music. Love all the callbacks to it and other Final Fantasy games and spinoff games. Some of the best tracks in theater rhythm are on there. It's great. I'm just not going to say it's my favorite. There's actually some that are ahead of this. Some you may agree with and some you may not, but we'll get to that when we get to this. That's number 75, Final Fantasy VI. Number 74, Pokemon Ruby. Now, the thing about Pokemon games for me is that obviously I've been playing them every single generation. And what was interesting about Ruby and Sapphire when it came out was that I was following this website. I don't even remember the name of the website. That was basically doing like, I guess, you know, proto blog articles about the Japanese version of Ruby and and Sapphire. And just being able to like follow all of that information and the translations that people were putting up of these different like Japanese, you know, players playing the game and these screenshots and everything. it, It really helped me like get involved in this game in a way that I hadn't done like since the rumors of gold and silver were surfacing and I I saw like a list of the new Pokemon online and it was weird. It was during those weird internet days where, you know, information was scarce and you really followed it as much as you could. So Pokemon Ruby, I chose Ruby honestly over Sapphire for a really stupid reason. That's because I just like fire, fire Pokemon more than I like water Pokemon. Really dumb reason. Grodon looks really cool. And obviously like if I had given it any thought to like the elemental type weaknesses, in Pokemon, I would have realized, oh, yeah, wait, he's a fire type. He would have been destroyed by a water type, which is the mascot of the Sapphire version. I'm stupid. I don't know why. That's number 74, Pokemon Ruby. Probably one of my lowest Pokemon games on the list because it's not terribly memorable, but it's okay. Number 73, Mario Kart DS. Loved this game. And I don't know if this was like the first game I played that had online capabilities for the Nintendo DS, but discovering that at that time when i didn't really like have an xbox i didn't play online with the ps2 at all or the gamecube or whatever the things they had the only thing i had ever seen like for like online console games at this time was fantasy star online on my uncle's dreamcast that was pretty much it but so being able to actually race people online in mario kart ds like from all around the world that was mind-blowing to me at the time and that i could actually like see how good people are and i mastered the mechanics on that game i i demolished them 
I know I was good at the DS version specifically for a long time. And I can't remember if Mario Kart also had the online like Nintendo Wi-Fi rankings that Tetris DS had. But I'm pretty sure I'd be at the top there. I mean, just I'm not even lying. I played that game so much. My favorite Mario Kart game for sure. And, you know, the retro tracks that they put into it from like the Game Boy Advance version, you know, the Super Nintendo version, everything. I thought it was pretty good. Pretty good. So that's why Mario Kart DS is on this list. Number 72, Checks Quest, a game made from a cereal. I don't even like Checks that much, but it was a game made from a cereal that came in a box of cereal. And it was a mod of Doom. That's the weirdest thing. This cereal had modded Doom so that you play as like the hero Checks guy what i don't know it was super fun though it was like one of the first like first person shooters i've ever played like full stop no joke it was like my first first person shooter and it was super fun like i don't even know how to describe it it wasn't even that many levels of doom i don't remember if i ever beat it but it was very fun and that's why here's how bad this game got its tendrils into me i wrote fan fiction about checks quest Nothing more needs to be said about that. I wrote fan fiction about Check's Quest. Let's move on to the next game. Number 71, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. A lot of people like Pro Skater. You know, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater back when it came out on the PS1, and I was definitely one of them. As a matter of fact, I would just say, like, mechanically, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, the first game, was, like, the most, like, mechanically sound of all the games that had been released, at least to me. While it was definitely rough and it was like really slow in some places, I feel like I just enjoyed it more. The, the general feeling of it felt solid. Like the mechanics were rough but solid versus every other game that came after that. Number two, three, et cetera, et cetera. Great costumes. You know, Spider-Man was in one. Uh, I can't even remember what other characters they had. But number one, just just had a good feeling. Everything else after that felt floaty to me. And the soundtrack to that game, like I couldn't actually like at the top of my head sing one of the songs or like hum one of the songs from the game or even recall them. But as soon as I enter those levels, like those songs come back like nothing. Like the specific memories I have attached to each of the levels and the different songs that would play and all of that that's involved with that it definitely is one of those ones that just sticks in my mind it's like a like this thought in the back of my head it's always there and when i go back to the game it's super fun and i have the remake still haven't even tried it yet i i really need to but i don't know i just have a a real soft spot for that first tony hawk game that's number 71 number 70 is animal crossing wild world definitely not my first animal crossing game i got the original on gamecube very close to when it was released, and that was super fun. Did everything you could possibly do in that game, I'm pretty sure. But Wild World was very interesting to me because it was on a portable system. And that was like the big thing, like I why I couldn't continue with Animal Crossing on the GameCube after a while is just like it's tied to the TV, and I have three brothers and one sister. I'm not going to be able to monopolize the TV <laughs> this much to play Animal Crossing. And, you know, it, it completely like took up one of our memory cards, so you know, the, the file size on those towns were so big, like you couldn't really do a lot when you couldn't afford another memory card. So yeah, eventually had to erase the memory card with your town on it. 
but you didn't have to do that with the DS version necessarily. You had your cool little town and it was like a kind of like on like a rolling log looking thing. So the town was like circular as you went from screen to screen. It was it was really cool. And just being able to play everything like (sighs) being able to play everything portably just made a big change for how often I could check in with my island and when I could play it and uh, you know, being able to actually log in, you know, morning, noon, night, whenever I felt like I wanted to, that made a big difference. And I put lots of hours into that game. <laughs> There's really not a whole lot that can be said. The only bummer part is that I spent a lot of time looking for those Nintendo games that were in the GameCube version and never found them because they weren't in Wild World, which was a real big sad thing. But I had the e-reader and that allowed you to do things like get town tunes and stuff. So that was super fun at the time. Wait, no, I didn't. No, that was for the GameCube. Never mind. The Game Boy Advance, the e-reader for the Game Boy Advance connected to the GameCube one. So, you know, disregard that completely. Wild World was fun. And having the touchscreen to make your little patterns, that was cool. Being able to make your town tune that way, fun. The touchscreen revolutionized it and paved the way for New Leaf in the future. So, Wild World, super fun. Uh, coming in at number 69 is Harvest Moon, Friends of Mineral Town. This is the Harvest Moon for the Game Boy Advance. And uh, the reason why I really enjoyed this was, like, you know, very similar to Animal Crossing being able to play a Harvest Moon on the go made all the difference because the first Harvest Moon game I ever played was Harvest Moon 64, but that was on the Nintendo 64. Again, I could not monopolize the TV as much as I wanted to play. So actually having a Harvest Moon game on the go with like really good like marriage candidates, I think they were very similar to the one from the 64. It was just a nice solid little story. It did what it did, and that's what it was aiming for. It felt like I was playing the 64 version in many ways, and the PS1 version, but like without the insane load times of the PS1 version. So that's why Friends of Mineral Town will be one of my favorite Harvest Moon games. Number 68 is Age of Empires 2, I think. I think it's Age of Empires 2. It could be number one. Honestly, I cannot remember which one is which. I know I played both of them, but I really liked this game for many reasons one it was it felt like a natural extension of like sim city where you're building up your civilization but with age of empires you actually got to go and fight which was cool there was a lot of cheat codes involved in the game there was the big daddy where you had a alien and like a a, a sports car that you could summon up to destroy the other civilizations it was really bizarre had a lot of cool scenarios where there was like one where you played as as moses rescuing the israelites from egypt and i thought well that, that's really cool like they're they're really trying to you know come up with all these different scenarios that you can put the player in and how they can adjust those games to the stories and the land parties that you got to do honestly uh when i was in middle school there was a lot of pcs and there were a lot of copies of age of empires 2 and i think all of the computers basically had its own their own copy and we got to play during our lunchtime. If we got a pass to the computer lab in middle school, we got to play Age of Empires like all together in the computer lab, which was nuts. Just so cool at the time when you're like, how does this work? This is magic. I know about the internet, but I'm connecting to all these computers around me. This is so neat. So Age of Empires 2, super fun. Not necessarily my favorite type of game. Not really great at the real-time strategy. That's why I never really put a lot of time in Command & Conquer, but it was fun. Number 67 is The Misadventures of Tron Bon, going into like the, the Mega Man Legends universe and spin-off series. And I think the best thing about this game is all the servbots that have kind of spunky personalities and everything. And that's really fun. But also getting to know the, the Bond family in a new way, which you didn't necessarily see in the original Mega Man Legends. And you saw you saw a little bit of it. And 
even more so in Mega Man Legends 2. I'm not going to spoil how that game turns out, but you, you do get to know these characters a little bit more. But, I don't know, Misadventures of Tronbon just felt like a nice little diversion in between 1 and 2, and it was just a fun little game with a lot of different ideas. You know, there were puzzle things that you could do. There was straight-up combat, and you had all these serve bots, and you got to do all these little mini-games with the serve bots, and I don't know. It's just a cute game. Obviously, the, the weakest one in that, you know, trilogy of games, but it was fun nonetheless. Number 66 is another PS1 game, Crash Bandicoot Warped. Now, I played the original Crash Bandicoot and number two around the time they came out. We were big PS1 players in my my family ever since my brothers got the PS1. But Crash Bandicoot Warp was the game I really latched onto myself. And I don't know if it's because it was just presented in a different way. You had this hub world where you could like go in between these different like biome type areas and you know explore like the great wall of china and i guess you know going through time and everything and that that was fun to me and being able to like see all of like the little different stats for like you have this many of these gems and you got these little uh onks that you collected and you have to get this many barrels and everything like all the numbers like lighting up the completionist in me like really like got super excited by this prospect and this is back in the day where i would like again just destroy games like collect everything do everything you could possibly do and this game was just really bad for that kind of addiction so that's why it's at number 66 it was very very fun and the music stays with me to this day i could probably pick that game up and play almost any level and maybe not necessarily like perfect it but do pretty good with it so i'm I'm very confident in my skills in crash bandicoot which is a very sad sentence for me to say but it's true So that's number 66. Number 65 is Fire Emblem Awakening for the Nintendo 3DS. This was not the first Fire Emblem game that I played, but it was the first Fire Emblem game I played and had fun with. (laughs) I got the Sacred Stones, I believe, went on Game Boy Advance right when it came out because, you know, I knew about these guys from Smash Brothers and they're from Fire Emblem. So this is a Fire Emblem game. I'm going to try it out. Nope, it was really hard. Sacred Stones is really hard. (laughs) And I gave up real quick because I just got into some unwinnable situations, it felt like. Probably could have won if I like really put more effort into it, but nope, I, I was not going to try to invest that much time. So Fire Emblem Awakening, though, came out for the 3DS, and while I was worried, I knew that there was a casual mode, and I am a filthy casual. I was already like out of college at this point, and I was in, I was in South Korea when I played like the entirety of this game, actually, now that I think about it. And, you know, I had a full-time job and everything, but I had to ride the subway a lot. And when you're riding the subway like 80 minutes in one direction, what do you do? Yeah, you pull out your little 3DS and you start playing another round of Fire Emblem. And it was really fun, like being able to play like all the like downloadable content that came out for it that let you really buff up your characters and get a lot of gold. And I feel like the story, that story in particular is one of the, I, I don't think it's one of the stronger ones in the entire series. I think it was probably one of the weaker ones in the entire series based on what I've read about other Fire Emblem games. But it was one of the stronger ones, like in terms of really getting people excited about it and very invested in it, especially with your player created character that you had. So who was actually an integral part of the story and actually had like voice lines and everything. So I thought that was really cool that they got to do that. So I think I, I, I only beat it once, but I played so many of the levels on there so many times and it was really fun. So Fire Emblem Awakening is number 65. Number 64 is Fire Emblem Echoes Shadows of Valentia, which took a lot of what I liked about Fire Emblem Awakening, totally threw out some of the parts I didn't like Fire Emblem Awakening, like 
honestly, the marriage and the child mechanic just needed to go real quick and just made that Fire Emblem experience that was closer to the old, like, core tenets of Fire Emblem, but really told the story in a very good way. And honestly, I think it's probably my favorite Fire Emblem game, which is weird because it doesn't have those other mechanics that made me fall in love with the series in the first place. But even still, like, it was really fun as you traveled around the map going the two different directions and you controlled the two, like, main protagonist characters. And you got to see both sides to their story and how they'll eventually meet in the middle. And no spoilers there, but the way they had, like, really tackled a lot of, like, the political intrigue of this game and, like, the relationship between these characters. And, you know, not just the major characters, but the different minor characters as well. It was really cool. I, I think they did a really good job, like, updating this old, like, Nintendo game into, like, the modern era. You know, change some things around, you know, fix some other things up. And, you know, maybe dumb down the mechanics a little bit for, you know, newer players. But it was it was a hard game that the final battle, like, really took me a long time to beat. Like, it was a hard map. Probably the most challenging I've experienced in any of the Fire Emblem games that I have played. And so I would highly recommend it to anybody who, like, really is interested in the series, wants a few quality of life updates, but doesn't want their hand held throughout the entire thing, and they don't really want all the waifu and the, the sons and daughters thing. So Fire Emblem Echoes, Shadows of Valentia, awesome game. Number 63 is another Nintendo DS game. As you can tell, I'm very heavy on the Nintendo DS games, and that is Dragon Quest IX, which I got that, like, right when it first came out. Then I totally just fell right off of it. And I was like 20 to 25 hours into the game. And I just, I felt hard when some other games came out. And Dragon Quest just didn't become important to me, like really and truly until many years later when I just tried to go through the entire series. And Dragon Quest Nine was part of it. So I went back, restarted, and got to the point where I was in the <laughs> previous save file, which I got there way quicker this time around because I actually understand JRPGs and the mechanics therein. And I played a few of these games. So I was able to get that done a lot quicker. But Dragon Quest IX has a, a really interesting story, not necessarily connected to 7 and 8, which I had played already by that time. So I was very familiar with it. It doesn't really like put together a cohesive trilogy like 1, 2, and 3 with the Urgic trilogy and 4, 5, 6 with the Zenithian trilogy. But I think it still has some of the more like spiritual elements that 7 and 8 were going for at that time. So Dragon Quest IX, very fun. Didn't really do any of the multiplayer stuff, but I think it's totally serviceable as a single-player game. While, you know, it does take that job system from Dragon Quest III very, very strictly, and you don't necessarily have a uh, compelling protagonist, like, even though they're all kind of, you know, silent throughout, you know, all of the games. I don't know, it kind of irked me a little bit with Dragon Quest IX with how silent everything was and how this player character, this created character was literally no character at all. But that's okay, because all the stuff around this character was interesting so that's number 63 dragon quest 9 and number 62 is ultraman ball which is not a game i played from childhood necessarily but i first heard about ultraman ball well i purchased a copy of ultraman ball when i was in korea because they had gobs and gobs of game boy cartridges for like the dirt cheap prices and i'm still kicking myself to this day for not buying more even though i bought many 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 i should have bought way way more but Ultraman Ball kind of set that to the side for a while. And then I heard about this from uh, one of the uh, Games Done Quick series. I don't know if it was for the summer one or the awesome one or whatnot, but somebody was doing a speed run of Ultraman Ball. And I was like, well, I, I kind of like Ultraman at this time. This was some years ago. 
might as well watch it. And I was just floored by how this gameplay works because your Ultraman turns into a ball and the mechanics totally change. Like as Ultraman, you're able to get around a little bit, do some jumping, but you can't really do anything as Ultraman. But when you turn into the ball version of Ultraman, you're like bouncing around the whole stage. It's it's not like really a puzzle game. It's not really a pinball game. It's not an adventure game per se. It's like, I don't even know. It's like this kind of arcadey. It's not a pinball game though. So I don't know how to describe it genre wise, but you're this ball that's jumping around. It's kind of like a Kirby game, I guess, but more frenetic and like the mechanics like really, really matter. And you're very, you're going very fast. And then I was able to beat that within a couple hours once I started it. And I was super happy with that game. It, it, it really like hit me. I need to go back and play it again, I guess, just to double check. But at the time, I was like, this is really fun. So Ultraman Ball, number 62. I think I even did a Henshin Dad episode on it. I'll have to go check that out again. Number 61 is Pokemon Diamond. Pokemon Diamond. Now, the thing about this game is that I never played it in English. Pokemon Diamond, I actually got imported from Japan during the period of time where there were still giant gaps between when the Japanese release of a Pokemon game would happen and the English language version of a Pokemon game would be released. Like nine to ten months. And so after Ruby and Sapphire and, you know, following the Japanese information about those games and, you know, already having imported and looked at like the idea of importing at the time with the Nintendo DS and knowing that it was region free, I decided, you know what? I am going to import a Japanese copy of Pokemon Diamond right when it came out. Like this was completely brand new. And I think I got it from Play Asia at the time. And it arrived and I was just transfixed by the fact that this is a Japanese Pokemon game. I had seen Japanese Pokemon games before with the Japanese Pokemon green cartridge that my friend had back in like 2000. But this is mine. This is my copy of Pokemon. And while, you know, I was learning some uh, Japanese at the time, specifically the, the writing system with Katakana and Hiragana. So I was actually able to make it a all the way through the game, like with, you know, minimal-ish effort. I had to do some real, like, figuring out of some of the, the attacks uh, that my Pokemon were learning. But thankfully, with a lot more visual quality of life updates, I was able to realize, okay, this one actually does damage. This one doesn't. This one, you can see the typings with the way that the colors outline it and everything and the icons there. So that was a lot easier to get through. But Pokemon Diamond, it was it was really fun to play that in Japanese. I put 60 to 70 hours into that game, like in Japanese. So like doing that was fun. And then I realized later on that my copy of Pokemon Diamond was like a first run copy, like a first version copy before some fixes happened with later cartridges. So my copy of Diamond was actually capable of exploiting a glitch that would allow me to get like particular distribution Pokemon, Darkrai and Shaman, who were the legendaries at that time, and actually be able to go visit their islands and catch those Pokemon without actually having to go to like a Japanese event to download an item that would allow me to go to the islands of these Pokemon. That blew my mind. So, I mean, I guess you can't really say my Darkrai and my Shaman are legal, <laughs> but I did obtain them in the cartridge and I did transfer them over to my English copy as soon as I possibly could. And I think I even used the Shaman 
No, I must not have used the shaman in an official competition, but I used it among my friends as we were doing Pokemon competitions because technically the Smogon Tears didn't uh, say that the, the basic shaman form was like uh, an uber. So I got to use that one, and that was super fun. But I digress. Pokemon Diamond, it's fun. Someday I'm actually going to play it in English. Number 60, another Pokemon game. Pokemon Pinball. Pokemon Pinball, which I'm just a sucker, I think, in general for pinball games because they're always there's always a certain level of fun that you know you're going to have with pinball. It's pinball. Whether I'm playing it in person or I'm playing it digitally on a game, it's pinball. With Pokemon, you actually got to like capture all these different types of Pokemon using the mechanics and add them to your Pokedex, which was great. It had a built-in rumble pack feature on the cartridge itself. So, you know, one of those cartridge gimmicks that were kind of weird, but you put a AAA battery in and the, the cartridge would actually rumble and you're like, whoa, that's kind of cool. And, you know, it was kind of essential for like a pinball game. Like I didn't realize how much rumble was essential for that feel that you would get. But you're like, oh, yeah, it, this actually feels like pinball now. I don't know why. I guess there's just that feeling you get as you're holding the buttons on a pinball machine and you're, you're pushing the buttons and you feel that little, you know, feedback from it. The rumble really added a lot to it. So Pokemon Pinball, super fun. Number 59, Final Fantasy IV. Yes, Final Fantasy IV is the superior game to Final Fantasy VI and a lot of other Final Fantasies as well. But I'm going to say Final Fantasy IV is better than Final Fantasy VI. Hashtag hot takes and pancakes. Final Fantasy IV, I think, told a more streamlined story and had a better focus on its cast of characters than VI did. VI had a big cast of characters, but I think IV did better with the smaller cast that they had. And while there's a lot of fake outs during that game and moments that you can say are kind of cheap the game had a lot of heart to it especially being like the first of the super nintendo era and you know what i played was the 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 remake version for the nintendo ds so you know it was pretty polygonal it felt like i was playing final fantasy 7 just based on how terrible the 3d graphics look on the ds but it had a lot of charm to it I think, and has a better story focusing on more of the main protagonists and by extension, all of the the cast members through there. And I'm not going to spoil it very much, but (laughs) the ending is questionable in parts. You might even call it problematic, (laughs) but not not even problematic. No, that's a joke, actually. But there's some questionable aspects about the ending. Yes. But is it a solid game? Yes, I would say it's better than number six. So Final Fantasy IV, I'm just going to leave it there. It's it's good. Coming right after that at number 58, it's getting so, like, I'm getting so sleepy I can't even read when I, my writing, is Dragon Quest, the original Dragon Quest, also known as Dragon Warrior, but it's actually Dragon Quest because that's how the series has now been renamed again for the American market. We are all the happier for it. It's the original Dragon Quest. It's like the prototypical JRPG on a nintendo console and it's just fun it's really uh obtuse in some parts and, and some of the exploration and everything but it's it's got a lot of heart to it and i think everyone who enjoys the jrpg genre should at least give it a try and see what they can do you got the one character fighting these monsters you know you don't have a big party you just got the one character you're focusing on grinding's hard <laughs> like grinding is hard and leveling up's hard but you can beat this game in less than 10 hours. Like, it's it's really 
straightforward. Well, no, it's obtuse. It's not straightforward, but it's like it's you got a goal. You're going to go for the goal. And that's what Dragon Quest is. And it spawned one of the most popular game series in Japan. So there you go. After Dragon Quest, at number 58, we have number 57, Super Dragon Ball Z, which many people confuse for Cho Dragon Ball Z when it first came out. It's one of those fun facts. I think it came out in about 2006 for the arcades. And the big claim to fame for Super Dragon Ball Z is that it doesn't play like the typical uh, fighter at the time. You had the Budokai games that came out on the PS2 prior to this, and they were kind of crazy, like... Not your traditional like 2D fighter, but Super Dragon Ball Z really goes back to those Street Fighter roots because it had somebody who actually worked on Street Fighter working on the games. So it felt like a Street Fighter game. You try to do the Kamehameha from Goku and you do it just like you would do a Hadouken from Ryu or Ken. Like it plays like a Street Fighter game. And that's why it's one of the best <laughs> Dragon Ball games because it's really fast paced and really highly competitive and just really fun and had a whole bunch of fun little characters actually and this is before you know you could do dlc because it was on the ps2 but like chi chi was in the game as like a playable character and you got to fight as her and that was really cool like she doesn't like you know she's not front and center in any of the games or even in the series so you know actually like seeing her take on like a fighting role i thought that was pretty fun and oh man playing as frieza that one was <laughs> playing as frieza he was super fast i remember he was really cool at the time so that's super dragon ball z number 57 number 56 is pokemon y pokemon y definitely has a big spot in my heart because every time i think about the x and y games while not the best generation it brings back some really precious memories to me of living in south korea and it, that was a really special time in my life and i i really do wish i could go back and you know, at least visit, maybe not necessarily live there and work there again, but visit because of just like the nostalgia that would hold uh, Pokemon. Why I, I downloaded it on my 3DS from the eShop, like right when it released. And because of the time zones and everything, I was able to download it like in the afternoon versus, you know, everybody in America was trying to download it at, you know, midnight or 11 o'clock. I actually got to download it like at noon and I was sitting in a coffee shop having my 3DS connected to the Wi-Fi there and the Wi-Fi was terrible in the coffee shop. So it was just like, this was taking forever. And the eShop was just hammered at this time. So this was the slowest download in the world. So I sat there for probably like two hours in the coffee shop trying to download this game. <laughs> and eventually it did. And I was able to go back on the subway and play, play like a solid, like 90 minutes of the game, just sitting there just being able to play it, like just focus completely in on it starting this new generation off properly. And, it was, it was a fun, fun time, and being able to show all my students, because and while it was a worldwide release, like, a lot of my students obviously didn't buy, like, the new and greatest game, so they're like, you have X, and, or you have Pokemon Y, and they were just floored by the fact that I had that, and I was just like, oh, yeah, here it is, Pokemon Y, and they got to watch me play a little bit of it. Black 2 and White 2 had just come out for them, I think, at that time, so this is, like, the brand new thing, and that was, that was super fun to share with those kids. So that's number 56. Number 55 is... Earthbound Beginnings, the first game chronologically, well, yeah, the first game in the trilogy of the Earthbound Mother series, and it's it's the last on, it's the, it's the lowest on the list for me just due to the fact that it doesn't do the things that Earthbound and Mother 3 do as well, but it's, it's a solid start to the series, you know, it feels more like a traditionally, like, Dragon Quest, like, JRPG game just taking place in America, but 
it took that, you know, like prototypical version of what Earthbound should or was going to look like, and it really like went with it. And you hear a lot of the backstory of the characters. That's pretty important for understanding, especially with the main villain later on. So that's super helpful. And it's just a fun little game. Like it's hard, but it's fun. Number 54 is a recent, recent completion by me, and that's Shin Megami Tensei 4. Shin Megami Tensei 4 for the Nintendo 3DS. Now, I had originally got this one back in Korea because uh, the eShop was running this special where if you bought SMT4, then you got like 30 to $40 to buy another game on the eShop. So like, obviously, I'm like, well, I might as well. I'm kind of interested already. I hadn't played a Persona game at this point or an SMT game actually at all at this point. So I didn't know what I was jumping into, but I enjoyed the first like solid, like first part of it and got pretty decently far actually, but just put it down because I could not like make my way around the map of Tokyo, like whatsoever. It's like, there was like nothing telling you where everything is. It's like, it kind of gave you a general region and then you're just kind of on your own. You're like, there's no directional arrows. I don't know what to do. This game doesn't hold your hand. And unfortunately, I really needed it to hold my hand because I didn't know what I was doing. But I, I picked it up again at the end of last year and decided I just I just got to do this. It's not a long game. I, I don't understand why I haven't beaten this game yet. So I spent several hours like finishing it off. And I chose the law path, I believe. I'm pretty sure it was the law path. I can't remember the explanations of the past and i know that you have to kind of play it several times to get the full story there but i don't i want to pick it up again eventually but not right now not right now so that's smt4 shin megami tensei 4 number 53 is another zelda game i know zelda games that make up this list like backwards and forwards let me tell you this is number 53 legend of zelda the link between worlds or a link between worlds and being as big of a link to the past fan as I was like at the time, especially, and you know, even now uh, being able to play a link between worlds with that in mind, like this game really hit it out of the park being kind of an experimental title as well, because you didn't have to take everything in like the traditional order and you could rent the weapons from the shop. But even with those changes and everything, and I know those were devices to some people, I actually found that to be really nice to have all that stuff like available, like right off the bat. And then just making the decision, do I want to try to get all these weapons, you know, farm for some rupees and buy them all and be as ready as I can be? Or am I just going to like wing it and see what I can? I don't feel like the dungeon design was as solid as Link to the Past. But, you know, thinking about it in hindsight, Link to the Past wasn't amazing with this dungeon design either. So, you know, this improved it on it in some ways, uh, didn't improve on it in other ways. And the, the painting mechanic did kind of discombobulate me you had to really think outside of the box with that when you actually have to blend into the painting and it changes perspective completely but it was fun it, it was fun something different way better than minish cap minish cap is like poop in comparison to link between worlds so that's number 53 number 52 is paper mario for the nintendo 64 another one of those games where you know i i was introduced to super mario rpg on the super nintendo loved it to death Heard that Paper Mario was supposed to be another JRPG in the same vein. Basically a sequel, but not really because, you know, the paper aesthetic. And, you know, it didn't have Geno, but that's okay because it was really fun. And learning how, like, JRPGs work, JRPGs work at the time was, like, super helpful for me in the development of my abilities as a role-playing gamer type guy. You know, somebody who likes JRPGs more than a lot of other people. 
but I think it was a really fun game and it, you know, it got me really like hitting game facts hard because I was like doing lots of calculations with some of these bosses with exactly how much I'm hitting and how much I need to hold out before I can beat the boss. Cause some of these bosses were hard and that really got me thinking about that sort of thing. So if nothing else, that's why it's at number 52 and finishing out the, the top 50 here, or at least getting really close to it is number 51 metal gear solid for the PS one. The presentation in this game was super interesting to me as a kid because I hadn't really seen a lot of voice acting in games up to this point. And obviously Mega Man Legends would come out, you know, pretty later and Mega Man 8 as well. But being exposed to Metal Gear Solid first before those games, I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. And getting to know this Solid Snake guy and how cool he was. And you got the Cyborg Ninja and he's really cool, just chopping up guys and has some really cool like voice modulation stuff going on. And the codec, I think, is a really cool way of, like, communicating with your teammates as well as kind of offering this interesting, like, I don't know, a feature where, like, you have the the codex symbol or the codex code that you needed on the back of the game case. So you needed to know that in order to progress with the game. I guess that's like an anti-piracy measure right there. But that was pretty cool. And just, you know, the whole thing with Psychomantis is just legendary. Everyone talks about that moment in gaming, and it, rightfully so, because it was really fun having him like read stuff off your memory cards. And because my brothers liked a lot of the Konami games and stuff at the time, this was like, whoa, that's so weird. I think he's telling us what we've played before. No way. So Metal Gear Solid, solid title at number 51. Thank you for listening to the Retronym podcast. You can find me at Twitter with the username at Retronym, that's spelled R-E-T-R-O-N-I-M, and through email at theretronym at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, subscribe, and all of that other fun stuff. I don't even know what it is. You can also check out my other podcast, Henshin Dad, if you are curious about the wide world of tokusatsu. Thanks again for taking time to listen to me today, and until next time, keep enjoying the games that you love. <laughs>